Leading a school is tough. Today, you're going to hear the hard-earned wisdom from a leader who's walked the path all the way to headship and who shares some practical strategies that you can use to supercharge your leadership journey today. Hey everyone, welcome to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm Shane Leaning and I work in teaching and leadership development. And in this show, I get to know the innovators, leaders and big thinkers making a difference in education today. If you like this show, please follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and do leave a review. It's great to see your comments and really helps to move the show forward. Today, I'm speaking with Neil Renton, head teacher at Harrogate Grammar School in the UK and author of his new book, New School Leader, What Now? Neil kicked off by talking about why he decided to write a book to support new leaders. Let's jump in. I think when I started doing the head teacher role, tried to get myself into the mindset of the key things I need to be. And I, I used to say to myself every day, be positive, be confident and be clear. And I used to say that every day walking to school, be positive, be confident and clear. And then a friend of mine lent me a book. Um, you have seen the book. It's a business leadership book, Jim, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And in that book, they talk about leadership, great leadership being about two, two features, which is the professional will to kind of drive, drive change. And then also humility, that kind of listening and, and, and taking on board and reflecting and giving feedback. And those two points really stuck with me and I've always tried to lead in, in that way and but at the end of the book that I've written the two points that I make are I think it's really important that leaders have curiosity to ask questions to show interest and I think that curiosity is really about professional will because you're trying to do the best that you can and then the other thing that I've learned is it's not something you do on your own is leadership it's with others and therefore to ask for help and to always ask and ask questions of others before you make decisions and constantly seek out the possible different truths and then cut through to the best one. So I'd say positive, confident, clear, professional win, humility, curiosity, asking questions. I really love that. And that comes through it all the way through your book, actually. Um, it's obviously been a collaborative journey that you've been on into, into your leadership. And I think you could almost say that they're both of those are linked really like curiosity, you know, leads you to seek, seek out those collaborative relationships to support you on your journey. And I think, you know, they are real values you can lean back on as a leader, especially when you start, things start to get stressful or things start to get, start to get tough is, you know, how can I be curious about this situation or this new, this new thing? I think that's a great thing for new leaders to actually, when you got through and you're into that position, to ask yourself the question, who is the, what's the leader that I want to be? And you do look to all the other people that you've worked for. And I think you draw on the best bits. You think I can't lead in that way, even though I want to, I'm not that person, but I can lead, lead in this way. I think even that curiosity about leadership to say, well, what, what, what is it? How do I want to behave? How do I want to be seen by others? And I think that deep, deep, reflection and constantly thinking that went well that didn't go well i can adapt that originally i played with the idea about calling the book about lessons on on leadership that 
leadership is such a journey of consistent development all the time trying to get better and better. I think that's what we've got to remember as leaders. It's learnt. It's never finished as a journey. And you've got to constantly practice and practice. To pick up on what you're talking about, about working with others and collaboration, in your book, I really liked your discussion on two things. You talk about the importance of allies, and then you frame something around benches, which I really loved that little chapter. Would you be able to kind of explain these two concepts and why they're important? Great things happen when you sit on a bench and you speak to a, a colleague and um, or a friend. And my mum's got a really good story about how she sat on a, a bench with her cousin and, and they talked about who they wanted to marry and their futures. And she's got a saying that benches are where futures are discussed. Can you have a bench story for every person that you that you work with? And that's a really challenging question in a large organisation. So say you've got 300 staff that work for you. Do you have some kind of personal connection that's like this story that you have? Do you remember when we, as friends, we did that? Or do you remember when that happened? And I think that's something to work at as a, as a leader, that when you're walking down the corridor or when you're coming out of a meeting, it's easy to go to the next task, the next email, the next thing that you need to tick tick off. Another way to look at it is how can I connect with people? What what can I ask? What experiences can we talk about to have our own bench story? And things that when you see them, you say, do you remember when we did that or when that, that happened? And I think that's about in big organizations trying to connect with with people. And that that's why benches are it sounds bizarre, but benches are are important in leadership. So you've you've set up this bench conversation with someone. You've got this thing to connect to. Where do you see that having impact in a school or in your leadership? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's necessarily. Uh, it sounds a bit um, contrived a bench a com- conversation, but it might be something happened where you really helped a member of staff, or could be something that's happening in their personal life, or just something funny that you experienced t- together. I, I think the power in that, and this isn't my, my phrase at all, I think it's Stephen Covey's son, which is that trust is a performance amplifier. And I think that importance of social bonds and connection with people is what ultimately leads people to say, I, I will help you in that difficult time because you've shown me kindness, you're interested in me. And it's what we want as human beings, isn't it, is people to show interest in what, what we do in our lives to to know things about what we're interested in, what we do outside of, of school. So we live our lives in schools where they get into our hearts. We spend a lot of time in them and we face difficult and challenging situations. So I think that if you can build those connections with people, and I, I work at that because I'm quite naturally quite introverted and quite quiet. So I'm, I'm mindful that I could go into a natural place of hiding away, but I think you've you've got to, as a leader, be that public figure and you've got to make those connections with with people. And there's small things, small connections you can do, not just about having a bench story, but you know, sending thank you, thank you cards, showing an interest in people's lives, their children, are all crucially important, I think, in, in leadership. And then the, the ally part, which you mentioned, um, is really about having people around you as a leader that you really trust who can call you out, who can check you, who you can ask questions, who give you reassurance. So 
I, I talk about in the book how once I was having to give a, a speech to a really large group of, of people and I had um, I, I was I, I choked a bit as I was about to start. I couldn't get the words. It was just an overwhelming situation of people in front of me. And I clocked a couple of my closest allies that were just in, in the room. And I just imagined that I was just speaking to them and they were just saying, come on, Neil, this is, this is fine. You can do this. And I think close allies are really Im- important that they can really help you through some of the difficult situations that you face as, as a leader because you, you sometimes get things wrong, you read situations incorrectly, and you need to say, look, I, I'm thinking this, and I'm sure it's right, but but is it? And you can sound that, that out. So I think having those people around you is, is important. So they're kind of two sides of different things, connecting with people, but then also having that group around you, those close allies. And that's not allies in that we're up against a fight with other people it's more a kind of a support that you've got is what i mean by that this has really made me reflect on where my trust is built with in my different relationships in those in that two way because i kind of see those i've been thinking about those conversations on benches or those kind of conversations and thinking oh well what are my relationships with you know with the staff that i serve and have I got that story with each of them that we can we can connect because that's that's so important and it's a huge trust building ex- exercise. And then on the other side, why it, which is kind of why I linked it in the question is who who have I got who I can really trust who who can um, be that voice? Both so important as a leader because leading can be isolating as well. You can link them together as well in that if you sit and ask your say you printed off your whole staff list and ask yourself. Actually, who who in that staff do I, I not really know? You know, they may be new they, and I don't really have a, a connection with and I, I say hello to them on the corridor, but I, I actually don't know very much about them or what's going on in, in their lives. What would it look like if I knew knew more and they they trusted me more and they gave more? And I think that's quite an interesting question. And then it's recognising that actually that group of people that I see as my close allies me it's a couple of people on my leadership team who I've worked with for a long time that I really lean on but what what if they leave and what if they're not there and who are other people that are coming through that give me a different perspective so I think it's recognizing that that's that's shifting all the time and that part of work is you think leadership is you know you're leading this initiative you're doing this here you're doing that there well actually this is just the basic of building a culture of togetherness which is really important. Absolutely. I mean, Neil, if we can just speak to a little bit about that pressure, you actually, you open the book talking about the weight of leadership and carrying that weight. I thought it's a a really brilliant place to start and the responsibilities that come with that leadership. Where does that weight come from that we feel as leaders? And uh, have you got any ideas on how we might manage carrying that weight? Carrying the weight is is interesting, isn't it? Because I remember when I, I was appointed to the job, I then said, what on earth do I do now? And then I remember walking through the school and everything just felt different in the school. So there was, the sun was shining, but it, it looked a bit brighter. I saw more marks on the school. I heard different noises. And the, I, I stopped. I thought, gosh, there's 2,100 children in this building. There's 4,000 and odd parents. There's a huge alumni community Whew. that that that's what i meant by 
the weight. And all of a sudden, I'm in this privileged position of leading a school where it's got a 120-year history. Each head teacher's pretty much had 10 years, some even more service to the, the school. And that's now my privileged position to look after this school for the next generation and build something for the future. And that's the weight, not necessarily just thinking of budgets and recruiting 115 teachers, just that literal, the weight of responsibility and care for the community, for students, for staff. And ultimately, if we think about what we're doing when we're leading schools, we are leading the education and the secondary socialization of young people. And I think what I meant by that is, wow, that is a weight to, to carry. And then I went in my mind to just to say in that it, I, I don't know if it's a West Yorkshire or thing, very local phrase, which is if you carry a car for every day of its life, you can carry a cow. And we were brought up with this phrase. And that's really what it felt like that I remember when I was to step up as kind of an, uh, when the head teacher was away and I thought, oh, this is, you know, really worrying looking after this school. What if the fire alarm goes off? What if this happens? But just gradually, every day of, of leading and being that person in charge of the, the school, you just get used to that, that weight. And I think as you get used to that, that weight, you can get a little bit more confident in, in moving it around and thinking, well, actually, if I lean on this and I push here, this can, this can happen. Or if we create this leadership thread here, we can affect change over, over here. It's comforting, I think, as a new leader to know that with time, you feel more comfortable carrying that weight and you start to be able to think. And you've got to keep that in mind, I think, when you start leadership or you start senior leadership or headship, like what your book's about, that it's not always going to feel that way. You're always going to have a weight of responsibility because it's a social enterprise and we've got it's people we're dealing with, but that it, it's not always going to feel you know, totally debilitating. We've talked a little bit about um, personally what it feels like to lead and how to, how to carry leadership. So if we can talk about actually the practical aspects of leading a school and one place which you um, talk about quite widely in your book is creating a culture. In terms of creating that culture, would you be able to kind of define what what you mean by that and what what do you think are the most pivotal steps to create a good culture within your school as a leader? People say culture is everything in schools and in any successful organization, culture really comes comes first. And I don't think there's a script of steps that you can take to create the, the culture. Yeah. But I think there are lots of different behaviors and strategies and ways of working that over time create the culture that, that you want. Now, I was really privileged in that the culture that I'm working, working here is really positive. It's really proactive proactive, a commitment to excellence. And I always say when I speak to parents that part of my job is to, to look after the culture and that there's a value of that excellence that pervades the generations. But even when you hear my language there, I'm, I'm working on culture. I'm trying to set the positive narrative and the, and the script. So I think that one of the things that leaders have got to do is they've, they've got to set that positive narrative and talk about it relentlessly and go back to it and build it into everything that, that they do. So you can't see it here, but sat in front of me is on my, on my wall. You've got our, our core purpose, what our values are, which are, are really clear across the school. 
And then we've got three pillars of our school, culture, curriculum, teaching and learning. And what we then do is through performance management, school improvement plans, we all work within that shared framework of language. So I think one of the things to build culture is if you try to pull it down to some simple things, I think you've got to have some kind of goals and know where you're going. What is your what is your what is your objective? Where are you where are you trying to get to? And I think that's the professional will will bit. You've then got to have some kind of strategy about how you how you're going to go go about it, and then lots and lots of little tactics about building culture. So I I think sometimes coming up with I talk about it in the book the correct leadership threads that go through the organisation are really important. So. We, we come up with terms and concepts in schools and people start working on them. So leaders have got to get that language really correct. So there's a, a great leader that in the UK called John Dunford, who is the president of ASCO, one of the leadership professional bodies in the UK. He talks about the importance of planting seeds and letting them grow, which sounds really basic, but I see it more as kind of the thread that you use. So for example, we use a term now about we want zero gaps between disadvantaged and non-disadvantaged children. The concept of zero gaps I really like because it, it's not saying we want to close the gap. We want no gaps. We want to be really aspirational. It's a really aspirational concept. And then I will hear leaders and staff saying, well, we, we could create this initiative to create zero gaps. So then you get activity around zero gaps. So I think goal, I think goals are really, really important in creating the right culture, then having the threads that go, go through, having the positive language, and then lots of little behaviours that create the right, the right culture. So how you speak to people, how you say thank you to people in, in an organisation, because you've, I, I use the analogy of kind of tuning forks. You hit a tuning fork when you walk in a room, people see how you stand, how you dress, what expectations you have of, of, of others and having your leadership team, they're doing that for you all around the school, all doing that in the way that you want, that contributes the the culture. So I, I know that if I am um, tired and I'm not speaking to people correctly, that says, well, that's how you speak across the school. You can behave in, in that way. So I think that checking that behaviour as well, it's a, re- I'm, I'm, it's a really big question what you've asked me. I think it's quite hard quite hard to pull down into key points. Yeah, you articulated it so well, actually, Neil. I'm I'm just thinking this is so relevant to this podcast audience, which is international school leaders, because in international schools, there's often a, 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 you know, just naturally a bigger turnover of staff and a bigger turnover of leaders because in international schools, people move around um, a lot more. So I think when what strikes me is when you say going back to your goals or your purpose, I guess, is really essential, really having that clearly defined. And then it's um, about those threads that are woven right the way through. So that actually as a leader, you're making your practice sustainable. It becomes part of the culture of the school. And I often say to leaders who I work with, setting up your culture is almost the number one thing in an international school you need to think about because you know these are transient communities of students staff and parents you know so we need to have that strong thread that binds what we do together and clarity for all the community to know what 
why we're here, what our purpose is. And the reason you're right in saying that, and the reason that I use the word thread is just the idea that you need to kind of restitch it and go at it again. And that over time, it's not a thread. It becomes really clear in people's minds what you, what you stand for. So sometimes I, I use phrases that I say, and I say them so much. I'm not always conscious when I'm saying them because I'm in such a pattern of saying it in assemblies or with with parents that you're trying to get that clarity of what the culture is about to to across to people and and then it's the lived behaviors that back that I think it's a, a fantastic um analogy to use threads one thing I wanted to come to was uh, this book is full of your personal journeys and reflections on how you've grown as a leader. And one area that you shared is a little bit about decision-making, about the decision-making process. And you just mentioned you're naturally an introvert, so that the, you know there's some things that you have to work on being a leader um, to move forward. But decision-making is the you know one of the bread and butters of, of being a leader, especially being the head teacher. Why do you think this is uh, a crucial thing to get the hangouts for new leaders? I went through this really quite interesting experience, and I talk about this in the book, where I had a new coach, a coach attached to me, and we used this new methodology called the Odin Method, and it, it works out what are your natural strengths and what are areas which are areas that you do that you appear to be really good at, but actually really sap you and drain you of energy. And I found that a really bizarre concept that I've got these natural strengths, untapped strengths, and then areas that I appear to be good at, but actually um, tire me out. And if I'm doing them all the time, I can actually start to slip into some quite bad behaviours. I was really shocked that this methodology could reveal those things. And one of my natural, one of the areas where I have to work on, which isn't a natural strength, really frightened me because it was leadership and making decisions. (laughs) I was thinking, God. This is great coaching to think that one of the things that is meant to be the job that I do is not actually a natural strength. It's something that I've got to work on. And if I'm doing it all the time, I'm going to get really tired. So the point that I want to make to you is that I think decision-making takes energy and really good, effective decision-making. If it's not something that you're not saying you're not a decisive person, but it takes a lot of energy to do it correctly. I think actually can, if you recognize that and that good decision-making really takes effort to do it properly, it makes you better at decision-making. So I talk about in the book how you can really be influenced by people who are very assertive around you, who are making very snap decisions on the knowledge that they know. But I think the power of the head teacher is in the perspective that they hold and making sure that that decision is, is based on facts it's really informed. You've tried to look around the third bend. I use the cinema in my head, the Kopf Kino, to try and work out what potential scenarios are going are to happen and then think, what are my biases? What are my stereotypes that I'm holding? And then sometimes just letting the situation grow, recognizing that morning is always wiser than evening and then thinking, right, am I now in a position to make this call? Have I been humble? Have I listened to people? But then making the, the decision. And a really great person that I've worked with uh, for many years, our CEO, Richard Sheriff, he, he's always really good with me to say, Neil, you've made the call and you've made the decision. You will have done it in a really informed way. You've done it now. Don't pick over it. 
leave it, it's done. And I think that's also really good advice with decision making. However, I would say occasionally you do need to U-turn occasionally. And you have a chapter on that as well, which is useful. By the way, actually, before, we need to come back to Kopfkina. We can't let that hang. So you're going to have to give me a definition. But I just want to say thank you for being so humble in your approach to leadership. In the book, you also you talk about, you, you don't like the term strong leadership or strong leaders, something like that, as you talk about in the book. And, and that kind of links to what you were just saying, I think. Yeah, I think the phrases that kind of strong leadership, they, they evoke to me these kind of really old-fashioned patriarchal conceptions that leadership is about power and, and, and strength. And it feels to me to be a really simplistic reductionist terminology to, to use it. And you wouldn't ever say, I'm going to go and you call it the doctor and say, oh, can I have an appointment with a strong doctor or can I have that? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think if and you wouldn't say, let's get all the strong leaders in the corner and get all the medium strength ones over here. I think it's much better to think about leadership in a more sophisticated way, which I, I prefer the methodology to think, right, well, if we imagine a, a number of characteristics or attributes, what are those? So one line might be the line of decision-making, one might be humility, one might be communication, organisation, all those things that you can come up with when you think about leadership and then think, well, well, where am I on that line of kind of communication or where I am on the line of humility or decision-making, team-building and which are the areas that I need to work on and who do I need to build around the team that have got those skills that maybe I don't have? And then I think you get into a place of what's effective leadership? Where am I effective and not effective? And I just prefer that way of thinking than saying, oh, this is woo, a strong, a strong, strong leader. And I think it, it's for people like me who have to work at leadership, it allows you to develop and be a better, better practitioner. And that's one of the things I do in the book is I jot down what I think those key lines of effective leadership are. And then people who read it can think, well, those are, those are maybe Neil's, but what, what are mine and how can I, how can I achieve those? That is exactly what happened to me as I was reading, as I was reading the book and it had a real impact. And I love just reading your reflections and then reflecting on my leadership. And this one area I thought, oh, crikey, I think I have thought in terms of strong leaders and, 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 and weak leaders before. And gosh, how incredibly unhelpful is that way of doing things, especially as I'm a leader myself. It's so reductionist as, as you say, and actually it, it just misses the complexity of leaders and doesn't help us to then develop in the areas we, we need to. So go on, Neil. What's COP Kino? You've slipped that into a conversation without a definition. <laughs> so my wife told me about this word and I think she'd picked it up from, from somewhere and we'd had a German exchange to the school and I'd mentioned this word to the, to the teacher that was there and they translated it to me for me. And my understanding of it is it means the cinema in your head. And I thought, what a fantastic concept for, for leaders because you have to play things out as a leader in the cinema in your head. And we all have this, don't we? And I talk about in the book how when you're on the train, sometimes you can drift off into the, your, your own cop keynote. Everyone's got their own place where there's that kind of point where you, you're playing out scenarios, maybe not consciously or unconsciously, that you're seeing in, in your mind. I've been in my COP keynote today, for example, where you had a, a 
challenging situation at, 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 in the school and you think, right, how am I going to deal with it? And you think, right, I'm going to watch this through the lens of, say, a student. I'm going to watch it through the lens of a teacher. I'm going to watch it through the lens of a parent. I'm going to play it back through my own view of what I think has happened or could have could have happened. I'm then going to think about what's the best way to re resolve it. And if I do that, what could happen? And what are the things that I've not seen? And if I imagine a really... Um, close ally watching it, how would they see it? If I think of my role models watching it, what would they say? And then I'm, and that might think, gosh, that's a bit over the top, Neil, just playing that out in your head. But I think you're then in a position to say, right, I think I'm now ready to make a judgment or deal with this situation because I've really thought it through. So Kopfkino is just a place that you can go to to work things through. And then also a great place of dreams where you want to take a school or an organization in the future, what, what's the end? And I did a bit of Kopfino with this book because I thought, what, where, where do I want it to be at the end? What does it look like? And that's all played out in different ways. And I've worked on that really for three and a half years to get to this point. And I think that's why it's quite a, an interesting book because it's quite, well, I would say it's, it's had quite a lot of thought behind it. I, I daydream a lot. I, I, I know I go into those. So this is kind of like an excuse to explicitly plan daydreams. <laughs> you could maybe calendar it in your schedule that you've got some cop keynote time. <laughs> exactly. It's got a turn now. I love it. So if I can come to one thing, Neil, um, and it's something that gets brought to me as a leader a lot, is around the term of visibility, being visible as a leader. Now, I know in my background, I've had a tough time because I've had leaders who I've worked with who were not very visible. And I, I think in my early days, I really supported them to say, you know, don't worry about that because you're getting on with the job at hand. So, you know, visibility is not that important. And that's kind of evolved over time. And I've realized it's, um, it's importance. Would you be able to talk about why visibility is actually critical for new leaders? Because I think it's one a lot of new leaders grapple with. So I think it's easy, isn't it, as a as a head teacher for your or as a leader for your, your diary to fill, your emails, chocker, and sometimes you're just flagging things, you never get in to respond. Things are flying in, calls, and you can end up spending your day in your office, back to back meetings, and your really visibility across the whole organization is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And whilst you may be working really hard and you and you know that you are working really hard, it, it's not clear to other people that you're about, that you're supporting them, that and what it is exactly that you're doing. And then sometimes in some schools, head teachers or offices are tucked away on different corridors and you become more and more removed. And I I think as a leader, you you've got to be able to know and know the organization inside out and know people. And you've got to be seen for that to be, be effective. And one thing that happened to me, which really rattled me in the early days of, of leading, becoming, becoming a new head teacher, I think it was a, maybe a, a year seven or year eight student said to me, I was having a word with them on the coach, and they said to me, who are you? And it really rattled me. And I thought, well, actually, don't, don't react to that, Neil, because you know there are many, many students in this school he may be saying that for various 
various reasons, but do something about it. Redouble your efforts to do something to make yourself more more visible. So I, I always try to do things that recognizing that I've got a busy schedule and I've got to do all those different appointments and calls and emails, that's never going to change. But how can I plan my day so that I can be visible? So doing things where, for example, being at the front of the school at the start of the day and at the end of the day, making sure at break times and, and lunch times, I'm always out on duty and I'm standing in the place that's got the highest pathway of students coming past me so I can say hello to them, I can see them, I can see staff, making sure that um, I never miss a briefing for staff so I can communicate with them, trying to stay at the end to talk to people. Any opportunity that I get to, if I'm asked to come and watch something or talk about something or be involved in an interview, anything like that, I just say, even if it's not my natural thing to do, I say, yes, I'm going to do that because that's just about being visible. And I've also learned, I live in the community where, where I work, which I imagine a lot of international teachers do, you're part of the close community. I've learned just to embrace that so that when I see parents outside of school, I engage in conversations and I'm not hide away from that. And I say hello to the children when I see them out and about on the, on the, around in the town and doing that as positively and friendly as I can is all about, this is this person who's leading this organization. He's approachable. He knows what's going on. So I think you've got to work at visibility, but it, it means something because, again, it's about culture and human human connections. And even if you, as a leader, you're quiet, you're introverted, you've got no charisma and, and, you, and you're really finding it hard, what you can do is you can be present and you can be seen and you can be kind and be interested in people. And all of those things then helps you to learn to be a good leader. The word be present really sticks out to me. And I know you made a point in your book about saying when you are being visible, being being present in that moment, um, you know, you talk about the temptation to to run off your task lists and start planning um, in those moments, but actually being there in those times you set aside is important. I think that's really important, Shane. You, you come out of your office and it's easy to think, right, I've still got that on my mind. I've worried about that conversation that I've just had. What's the impact? I've just learned that the school's going to face this challenge. But you shut the door and you, you have to go out and smile and always say hello to people, ask people questions, show an interest in, in people and be, be seen and be looking at the school, looking at classes. So you're picking up things all, all the time. And I think that's one of the exciting things about leadership and being in that position as head teacher is you, you can make a difference all the time. You can pick up things. So well, that, you don't, that doesn't need to be like that. We can put that right. We can sort that out. And I think that solution focused side of being a, a leader is such an exciting thing. And that's why it's such a privilege because you can genuinely make a difference to people, touch people's lives. And working in a positive culture and in a place that people enjoy working and that makes a difference, what better way is there to spend your working life? Neil's reflections reveal that leadership is a journey of growth, requiring courage, humility and self-awareness. As leaders, we must be present, visible and foster human connections in our work. This builds trust and amplifies the performance of our team. And most of all, Neil challenges us to be visible, to be curious, and to be humble. 
You can learn so much as a leader from Neil's book, New School Leader, What Now? which is published on the 25th of August and available on all good websites. And get this, listeners can get 20% discount by heading to criticalpublishing.com forward slash new dash school dash leader. And you can use the code school 2023. I'll put the links in the show notes and you can find it there. This episode of Global Ed Leaders was hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning. Original music by Guillermo Silva. If you're planning new staff inductions soon and want to get it right, why not download my free guide to effective staff inductions at bit.ly forward slash school induction. That's bit.ly forward slash school induction. I've also popped a link in my show notes and I hope that really helped in your school induction journeys. I'll see you next week.